You know, one thing I will say, I think, like, in general, I'm a really good cook. Just by and large, I enjoy cooking, and I like doing new recipes, and I think I'm pretty good at it. But one thing that has come out of quarantine the past few months is um, I feel like I'm, like, a damn good cook now. I mean, I'm that bitch making two loaves of homemade bread every week for just me. I eat a lot of carbs. (laughs) (laughs) I will say, you send pictures of your meals to me, and I'm like, dude, make me that. I, I mean, I don't necessarily want to make it myself, but I, I will say I made the best steak ever tonight, actually, for dinner. You did. You sent pictures, and I was jealous. I was having reheated chicken. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> well, actually, no, it, it was good. I figured out how to keep it juicy and stuff, but... Oh, then that's a, that's a win in, in yeah. and of itself. I know, but, you know, my like my personal Instagram has... A, Pretty solidly shifted from way too many selfies to just, like, food pictures now. That's my life. Did you post a picture of your chicken? No. It wasn't a very good picture because the it, it, it was a very yellow picture. So I didn't post it. But, you know. I 100% get that. You will never see yellow photos on my personal or our podcast one because I don't like it unless it's, mm-hmm. like a white wine and it has to have some yellow in it but i hate it when photos have that yellow tint yep it drives me crazy i i blame um light bulbs but um no i think it's cool that like all these different little skills people are developing and like oh shit i'm good at this in quarantine i mean i have a friend who started crocheting or knitting or whatever i don't know one of them big ass needles and yarn I don't know. (laughs) Um, But now they just sit there and just make scarves. And I'm like, that's cool. We also live in Austin where you don't need a scarf. But damn. Okay. I wish I could knit crochet. Yeah, I have been, and I know I've mentioned this multiple times, but y'all know I've been reading a lot. I read seven books in July. That's a lot for me. That's so many. That's almost two a week. You're reading like... I did in high school, middle school. I was one of those reading kids. There's nothing wrong with that. I like being a reading no. adult. No, it's great, but... Yeah, well, I will say, I went a really, really long time where I just didn't read. It was like after I finished college and then after I finished grad school, it was like mm-hmm. I had read so much for school that I was just done. And when I was in school... I would oftentimes I was that person reading for pleasure when I should have been reading my classwork. But you know what? Whatever. Yep. And then I just stopped reading. And it was years. And then I would go through waves. Like sometimes I would read, you know, a couple books a month, but nothing like it is now. It's like I found that passion again. And I'm reading books of all genres, like not just thrillers, not just Stephen King. I'm I just got this book, this like sci fi book. It was my August book of the month pick. And I'm really excited to try it. It's about like time traveling and how there's a version of you and all these different multiverses. And just I don't know, it's not anything like I would normally read. But I was like, you know what, that sounds kind of cool. Let's read about time travel and how it's probably a bad idea. Oh, I mean, yes, it most definitely is. But that's awesome. I'm glad you're you found the rekindled the book passion. Unless you're with Doctor Who. If you're with the Doctor, then it's actually still bad. That's good. But it's, well, it's I mean, good, it, but it's bad still. It, yep. <laughs> yep. Anywho. But hi, everyone. This is a Blood and Wine. I'm Brittany. 
And I'm Tyler, and we're leveling up our skill points in, what, home goods? I was about to say, like, home ec for some reason, which is not right, but kind of like our home ec in life. Yeah, our family and consumer sciences. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) Um, Let's just jump right into the episode. Let's do it. I just want to remind you guys about Patreon. Go ahead and hop on over there. Check out our murder minis. There's a lot of content for you to listen to. And we appreciate you guys so much for all of your love and support. Lots of different tiers. You've heard the deal. Check it out. Also, make sure that you subscribe to us on whatever podcast listening platform you're listening to us on. Apple Music, Spotify, Pandora, all the things. We're there. Hit that little subscribe button that's somewhere. And that way you'll be notified every time we release a new episode every week on Tuesday. Well, this was my week to pick the topic. which I will say, I've really been enjoying this, like, switching back and forth on the, on the topics every week. Yeah, it's really nice, you know... If you are like, oh, I want to do this topic, you know, you're either doing it this week or next week. Exactly. So this week, I decided it's time for another Survivor episode. So we're doing a Survivor episode. It's been a hot minute. It has. And like we talk about every Survivor episode, our listeners who have been listening to us for a long time are like rolling their eyes right now and saying it. But our Survivor episodes are really intense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we originally envisioned them as like, a, ooh, we've done a lot of really intense episodes back to back. We need a breather. So let's pick something that's survivors and hopeful. And it is. But it is in no way less intense. No, all these details make for quite an intense story. Yeah. But before we get into our tales of survival, let's pop open some bottles of wine. Tyler, Let's do it. (laughs) What wine did you pick this week? Well, y'all know me. Y'all know I love boxed wine. And Boda Box is one of my go-to wines. Since I don't live near a Trader Joe's anymore, so I can't get my two-buck chuck, Boda Box is kind of my go-to. But when I think boxed wine, I always think red. Me too. Like, I never think white. But um, I was at the bodega... They have a ton of different Boda Box, and they have a Boda Box Sauvignon Blanc. And I was like, you know what? I love Sauvignon Blanc. I love Boda Box. And this is either a Californian Sauvignon Blanc or a Chilean. I'm not sure. But anyway, it, I'm drinking the 2019 Boda Box Sauvignon Blanc from, I'm going to say California. So the reason for my confusion Everywhere I look online, it's like, it's a California wine. But on the box, it says, Bodabox 2019 Chile Sauvignon Blanc, product of Chile. And then imported and bottled by Bodabox Vineyards in Manteca, California. So, I I don't know. I'm gonna go with it's a Chilean Sauvignon Blanc. Are you gonna say Chilean? Okay. Yeah, because every source I looked online was like California, California. I never saw anywhere say Chile except this box. Well, but I guess if the other sources are for like maybe the 2015 was. Well, the way I look at that is I, I don't know. Think about the French wines that are imported through Connecticut. Those aren't Connecticut wines. They're French wines. That's okay. Fair. Okay. Well, then yes, I'm drinking a Chilean Sauvignon Blanc. (laughs) So this wine 
It has, it's a very refreshing one, like a lot of Sauvignon Blancs, with flavors such as lime zest and lemongrass. It also has a zip of citrus, melon, and then a little bit of minerality. So I'm like, ooh, that sounds like a damn good Sauvignon Blanc. It does. And I mean, it's not a New Zealand, so it doesn't have the grassy notes I like. But the last Sauvignon Blanc I had for the podcast was a Chilean, and I remember really liking it. This pairs really well with light meals, grilled chicken skewers, or a salad with goat cheese and vinaigrette. And with it being Boda Box, their whole thing is like outdoors, drink it anywhere, the box, the bag, everything's recyclable. So their spin on it is much more like backyard barbecues or like picnics and eating those kind of foods. And I'm like, ooh, yes. And also on the reviews, people seem to really like it. But one thing I did not realize until I bought it is since it's a boxed wine and it's a white wine, it goes in the fridge. Yeah. And it's kind of a bitch to fit it into the fridge. It's pretty tall. You put it on the top shelf. Yeah, my top shelf isn't designed like that. Oh. So, I mean, I have the shelves you can, like, take it out and lower it. But who wants to do that? uh, Exactly. Thankfully, it fits in the door of my fridge. But also, since it's a boxed wine, it takes forever to get chilled. Yeah, how long did you have it in the fridge? I mean, I bought it probably six hours ago, and... I think it's probably the right temp now. But on the other hand, it's so insulated, it takes forever to get cold. But that would also lead me to believe that because it's insulated in the box and everything, it's one that once it's cold, it's probably not going to warm up all that quick. Like a lot of bottles of white wine. So I'm just saying. But I already opened it. So uh, here's the sound of spout wine. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You know, that definitely doesn't sound like someone peeing, like they tried to hold it for an hour. Is it cold at all? It's going back in the fridge. (laughs) One moment. But this glass, I mean, it's chilled enough. I'm gonna let the box chill a little more. But um, yeah, it smells like Sauvignon Blanc. I mean, it has that like citrusy, tart aroma. Oh, yeah, Sauvignon Blanc smell. Yep. I mean, I also can't smell all that well right now, but... So, Brittany, what wine are you drinking today? I'm really excited about mine because this is one of the prettiest bottles I've ever seen. So this is the 2016 Sati de Syrah Garnacha from Spain, and it's their artist collection. Ooh. And so it's got, like, this black and yellow and white Jackson Pollock-esque splatter paint Mm -hmm. on the label but the bottle itself the glass is actually textured so think like here do do an asmr thing with your nails we'll see what that sounds like listeners who like (laughs) a yeah listeners who like asmr might be like ooh, but britney's not good at it listeners who hate it are probably like oh my god please do not come become a true crime asmr podcast That would be disgusting. I don't even want to think about the sounds. Uh, So, like I was saying before I tested the sound, it's almost like a golf ball texture or like Tyler was saying earlier, those glasses that all of our grandparents had. 
Yeah, you know the glasses that are like solid red or green glass that have like the diamonds. Texture? Yeah. Mama had green ones. Yeah. I remember them now. So See, that's okay. I knew I was pulling the image somewhere from my childhood. Yeah. I feel like Grandma might have had red ones. Everyone had them. But this wine, really looking forward to it. It's 55% Syrah and 45% Grenache. And it's available exclusively at Trader Joe's, which is where I found it. And it's only $10. Nice. I mean, I will say, I think the the cheapest good wine I've ever seen is always from Trader Joe's. Like, they really just have solid picks in that, like, 5 to $10 price range that you don't see at a lot of places. I feel like most places you go, the 5 to $10 wine range is, like, barefoot, yellowtail, maybe cupcake, but cupcake's getting close to that 10-11 point. Yeah. Well, it's all those partnerships that they have. We've, you know, we've mentioned mm-hmm. that before, but yeah. For some fantastic values. But it's not the only place. Like, I know a lot of listeners don't necessarily have a Trader Joe's near you. I know we talk about our love for TJ's all the time because it's a lifelong love. But you can find cheap wines. Just, man, just know that liquor stores are the most expensive place to buy wine. Like, your convenience liquor stores, wine's really expensive there. So go to, like, a wine specialty shop. You're going to get better wine and a better deal. So this wine, it starts with some aromas of sweet blackberry, plum, black cherry, bubblegum, and lavender. The bubblegum terrifies me a little bit, but I have seen that before and it's not something I ever pick up on. So okay, we'll see what happens there. It's a medium bodied wine that's very soft and smooth and it is a little bit sweet, which this is not something I'm necessarily like I, I, I would not have guessed any type of sweetness coming out of this type of wine. More so like, yes, fruit forward, but sweetness oh, scares me a little bit. It is a good wine. In my review, it said it's a really good wine for people who like popular sweet red blends. So you're like apothics and whatnot, which I would definitely consider a sweet red blend. Yeah. So if you're like those kind of wines, this is a good one to branch out to because it is drier, but still fruit forward. It also has hints of chocolate and, you know, a medium long finish. So there are a lot of things that uh, were used in that review to describe this wine. So it's basically going to taste like bubblegum chocolate plums. That sounds awful. That's some Willy Wonka nasty shit. This is Willy Wonka wine. I didn't tell you that. You know what wine I've never had and want to try out of the novelty of it? You know, those like chocolate wines that look like chocolate a milk? bottle of chocolate milk. Yes. They're I don't nasty. want to try it for like, yum, but I want to try it for be like, what the, what is this? Yeah, they're nasty. I ugh. So I, I'm assuming you have had one. Yes, I've had one. A chocolate raspberry wine. Ugh. I'm opening my wine now. Let's get into this. I've been doing this thing where I keep pinching my thumb, and so, like, I'm nervous. Nice. That was in there. It was. And I'm using my Game of Thrones wine glass, because it's been a hot minute since I've used that. It has been. Oh, she dark. It's really not. I can see through it. Oh. Do you see that? 
in the light. No, but you're backlit, so. Let me give you a little bit of light. Oh, okay. Well, I think my Sauvignon Blanc's a little lighter. I think so. But do you see how it's like this ruby garnet, definitely a medium wine. It's Mm -hmm. pretty light for a red, actually. It smells... I almost get hints of tobacco, which is weird because that's nothing like I read at all. That's not chocolatey bubblegum plums. No, and you're right, that does sound really nasty. (laughs) Yeah. I'm excited to try this wine. So... Without further ado, let's do that. Let's try our wines. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. I want to hear about yours first. That's a solid Sauvignon Blanc if it were 15 degrees colder. Really? Yeah. It's not super, super bright or super complex. You know, some Sauvignon Blancs are like almost a sour candy level of tart and sharpness. Yes. This one is not that, and it's a little bit heavier than most Sauvignon Blancs I had. Probably about halfway between a typical Sauvignon Blanc and a Pinot Grigio, I'd say. Short finish, really refreshing. This is the wine I would take to the beach. And it's in a box, so you don't have to worry about the glass. Exactly. You know, I like that it's a good one. I will have to try that box, because as you know, I've been drinking Sauvignon Blanc like it's water, and... Vodavox would be a good one to give a try, because I haven't. Yeah, it's. I'm a fan. I am two thumbs up for Vodavox Sauvignon Blanc. This wine is really good. I would not call this sweet. Maybe it does say a bit sweet, but when I was reading, like, sweet blackberry and bubblegum, no. I actually almost get a taste of baking spices. Like, not necessarily cinnamon, but there's something in there that's a little bit different. Probably clove. Everything's probably clove. Oh, maybe that's it. That's actually probably exactly what I'm talking about, where I'm like, it's not cinnamon, but it's a baking spice. So It's that spice that you taste in everything, but have no idea what it is. It's clove. <laughs> it's not overpowering by any means, because this is a very medium to light bodied wine. It's fruity. I'm getting those black fruits, that black cherry, that plum, but there's also this like clove hinted oakness to it it's a good solid wine it is very smooth the tannins are extremely low it doesn't feel super acidic and the alcohol levels are probably around the 13 percent. let me see if the bottle says oh mine's 13 and a half oh just kidding this is 14.5 so this is gonna have me on my ass in a bit i mean mine's white wine so same <laughs> white wine just does me in Well, it's like you can drink it faster. Well, yeah, but I feel like after a bottle of red wine, I could still, if my boss called or something, I could still have that, like, oh, yes, mm -hmm, nope, no problem uh kind of conversation. (laughs) Apparently, all I do is agree with my boss, but uh, after a bottle of white wine, it'd be like, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah, no, I, I got you. Like, don't sweat it, forget it. You know, that kind of thing, where it's like, Something, uh, something a little off, dude. Um, so tip for you, maybe don't drink a bottle of wine before any point in time you're going to talk to your boss. I mean, listen, if my boss calls me at 8.30 p.m., (laughs) then she can expect me to be in whatever frame I am in. (laughs) That's like the after dinner, I'm maybe on glass number two, I'm totally relaxed, out of the work mode, if you've been fortunate enough to not be working up until that point, but... Yeah, no, I get it. It's like, you call me this time, 
You're getting the real me. You know, listen, five o'clock hits and, you know, maybe I will have a glass of wine. All right. Well, we've got our wine. We've talked about our topic. Tyler, tell me about your survivor case. Okay. So my case is the survival of Leona Mendenhall. And the sources I used, episode 24, season... That's a weird way to say that. Season 4, episode 24. (laughs) There you go. Of I Survived. You know, it's it's like that month-day year where it's supposed to be day-month year. Like the rest of the world, America's just weird. You know, maybe maybe somewhere people like, no, you say episode number, then season, then show. Maybe. Suspenseful. I <laughs> know. Uh, season four, episode 24 of I Survived, as well as an article from the United Press International. And this was an archive article, and United Press International has, like, articles from everywhere. So I didn't, I couldn't tell what uh, newspaper specifically this was from. Oh, but yeah. It was on UPI. My case, all of this happens in July of 1984 in Trinity Alps, California. Ooh, the 80s in California. The possibilities are pretty much endless. Oh, and not just in California. It's Northern California. I just think it could be anywhere in California in the 70s and 80s, and it was all murderers everywhere. That's that's real. (laughs) So Leona and her husband Robin, they are celebrating their one-year anniversary And to do that, they're going to go on a hiking trip together in Northern California. No. They're going to hike the... I mean, you know, (laughs) it's gorgeous. It's mountains. It's like redwood forests. It's... Yes. I would absolutely, for my one-year anniversary, go on a three-day hiking trip. I I guess it depends on where you're staying. I'm going on like a solo glamping trip, essentially. I would consider those getaway cabins kind of glamping. No, that's most definitely glamping. You have a kitchen. I know, and a running shower and a toilet I can flush. Honestly, I I think glamping is rougher than that. I don't even know if you could consider that glamping. (laughs) It's totally glamping. I'm really excited. But I'll be hiking, and then I'll go in my shower and clean off my sweat from the hike. Nah, you're supposed to jump into the creek to get wet. No, are you kidding me? There could be leeches in there. Do you know how... I, yeah, leeches don't hurt that bad. I, I really... Have you never been bit by a leech? No. You know, you will find this funny because we did grow up on the lake. As an adult, I do not like it. The water is dark. You can't see what's in there. The bottom is squishy and nasty and there are snakes. Oh, yeah. No, I'm that bitch who will scream if I if a fish touches me and I know it's a fish. <laughs> oh, I'm not about that shit. I don't want you touching me. Get off my leg. But uh, yes, I've been bit by a leech. You don't really feel it. Ugh, I don't. I don't like thinking about it. But um, do you remember side story growing up? Information time. Lis- I got so far into my case. <laughs> Listeners, here we go. Here's a bit of uh, childhood. So our grandparents lived on a lake. Do you remember? It was like evening time. We'd been swimming all day. We were on the dock. Like I think we had cleaned up and we were no longer in our swimsuits, but we were out there just hanging out as a family. And this big white snake swims out from underneath the dock. No. Be lucky, man, because that has haunted me for literally like 15 years because it was horrifying. I actually had a lot of incidences there where I felt like I got bit by a snake. Although I've never been bit by a snake. But that just shows you my fear. Like that I've had so many things happen that I'm like, ah, it's a snake. No, it was an electric fence. Our family members know that story. Um, (laughs) Don't step over an electric fence to pick a flower. It's not worth it. (laughs) 
It's really not. Anyway. You're not going to clear it. I'm just saying I don't like not being able to see the bottom, which is why I don't really like creeks. I mean, creeks are generally fine, but still leeches could be there. I don't like creeks, lakes, and ponds. I'm fine with the ocean, but not too far out. Because if you go too far out, then a shark's going to get you. See, I'm not scared of sharks in the ocean. I'm scared of like riptides. Ooh, and jellyfish. Again, doesn't hurt that bad. Okay, well, some of them can kill you, so I, I bet that hurts I mean, a lot. Yeah. Okay, our, our Australian listeners are agreeing with you, <laughs> and same, I agree with you. But anywho, they're not at the ocean. They're not worrying about jellyfish. Our Australian, they are going hiking. Our Australian listeners are like, come on, just go camping, you wuss. They go out and like play with the spiders. That's the size of like a minivan. It's the spiders they're and like, Harry Potter. Isn't your, like, favorite pastime to just, like, lasso a spider and ride it? Like, that's that's what camping is. You have a fire and you fight off the, like, house-sized bugs. Duh. <laughs> I don't know. If, part of me thinks the Australian wildlife is simultaneously, like, prehistoric wildlife. You know, like the dragonflies that are three feet long and shit. I don't know. If that existed today, it would exist in Australia. Maybe it does. Um, Australia is very large and uh, separated. And so it's just prehistoric animals are still surviving. I mean, kind of. I was going to say, it is not a stretch of the imagination. Sharks and crocodiles are old as shit. Yeah, no, you're right. But anywho, getting back to my case, because it takes place in California, not Australia, and in the woods, not the ocean. It is Leona and Robin. They're celebrating their one-year anniversary, and they're this, like, happy young couple in their 20s. And so, two of them, they're hiking, they're camping, and it's, like, beautiful woods, lakes that they're camping around stuff. But just, like, gorgeous mountains, and honestly, Northern California does not look that different from Colorado. Yeah. But just picture bigger trees. Yeah. Big redwoods. It's great until you're driving through it at one in the morning and dodging redwoods, but... (laughs) They do jump out. It feels like it. I know, you told me. (laughs) It feels like it. But anyway, so on this day, they're hiking, enjoying the views, taking their time, and they're walking along this trail, and they come across this man just sitting on the side of the trail, and they're like, okay, you know, just... You know, people out hiking. It's not a super popular area. Like, she never talked about passing anyone else, really. But it's big enough that it has a parking lot kind of thing. Okay, so... But I, I'm thinking, like, national park kind of scale, or I guess yeah. state park. But what does concern them and kind of weirds Leona out is she notices he has this big rifle attached to his backpack. And that was weird because she was like you know hikers don't carry guns like that no and this is not a i mean i guess you could come out here to hunt but that'd be weird but that that was kind of a train of thought is like well he's probably a hunter or maybe he's someone who's just like terrified of bears and is like i'm gonna be fucking overprepared and have my gun guess so maybe that's weird but um so she's like yeah okay kind of brushed it off and You know, they're walking up, and hikers are friendly, is what she said, as if it was a thing that is, like, well-known. She was like, and as you know, hikers are friendly. So, that's something new I learned. I mean, they are. Especially when you are struggling up, and they're going down, and you're like, how much further is it? And they're like, 
not that far, maybe another 45 minutes. And then you look at your friend and you know she's like, she can go further and is like, do you want to turn around? But you can't (laughs) because you've been hiking for eight and a half miles already. And so it's like, no, we're not going to turn around. My pride is bigger than this. And you keep snowshoeing the fuck up the mountain. Anywho. <laughs> and then your legs are like jello for ne- the next week. Yeah. Snowshoeing's rough, man. I can't believe you but went eight miles in snowshoes. What is wrong with you? I like hiking. It was rough. But we found a <laughs> hidden frozen lake. Anyway, hikers are friendly. And so Leona and Robin, they pass him. They're like, oh, hello. But he does not respond to them and actually just like turns his back to them. Shit. And so they're like, okay, this is weird. And Leona's like, okay, acting like that and the gun, like, I'm unnerved. So they just kind of kept walking along the trail. About two miles later down the trail, they decided to stop hiking for a bit, sit down, rest, like have a water break, chat. And as they're sitting there relaxing, Leona suddenly hears this gunshot. And so she looks up the trail to like, where she heard the gunshot from and she sees the man from earlier with his gun pointed right at both of them and this is two hours or this is two miles later so probably like an hour after they passed him so he clearly got up and followed them yeah and so she sees him with this gun and she's not thinking he's shooting them like that she can't let herself think that so you know, maybe she's like, oh, he doesn't see us and he's shooting at something else or I don't know. So she gets up and she's waving her hands and she's like, stop shooting. There were people right here. And then he just started firing multiple times at the bo- at the two of them. To where it's clear at that point he is shooting them. Yes. Oh, my God. And literally their only interaction with this guy so far is they walked by him on the trail and said hi. That's it. So... Her husband, Robin, he's hit and he falls to the ground. And so Leona kind of runs off the trail to get cover. And I mean, she's basically still on the trail, but like hiding behind a tree kind of thing. Yeah. Because she is trying her best not to get shot herself. The guy then stops shooting and he just starts slowly walking towards them. Robin is laying there in the middle of the trail, bleeding. She's still basically right there. And she's looking for a rock or some kind of weapon because she doesn't have anything. She doesn't have, like, a a knife on her, any kind of weapon. And also, the trail is on this, like, steep mountainside. So she can't run down because that's off a cliff. She can't run up because that's straight up a mountain. So she's trapped. And so she's, like, as he's coming towards her, she's like, holy shit, I'm about to have to fight for my life. And then he walks right up to Leona, and he, like, looks down on her because she's on the ground. And he asks her if she's been shot. And she's just like, what? Say yes. Right? She She's like, yes, no, what? Like, she's real confused. Yeah. And she's, like, looking at him and realizes something's off. Something's wrong. Like, his eyes are empty. He's emotionless. Like... And he's genuinely asking this question. Like, did I shoot you yet? Kind of just making sure, he, like checking it off no. his box. Like a, did you get shot? Like it wasn't even him kind of thing. Like, oh, yeah. I even shot? 
Yes. Oh. And then he asks her, do you know what happened? And so she's like, oh, shit. If he doesn't know what's going on, and if I pretend I don't know what's going on, this might be the only way I could be safe. Right. So she's like, no, I I have no idea what happened. And he's just like, okay. He kind of pauses and like mumbles something to himself. And then he just starts walking down the trail past them. And that that's it. Just wow. walks down the trail. I mean, she's laying there. Robin's laying there shot. He just maybe a minute before was shooting at them. And then he's like, oh, my God, what happened? Walked away. And not in a sinister like, oh, what happened? No, like, but like he's in actually a, asking. He actually has no idea. Yeah. I feel like this is really terrifying because this man has mental illness and he doesn't, like, clearly something's going on and he's not aware of his surroundings and he's shooting and then not even recognizing he did it. Oh, that's scary. Yeah. So after this guy just walks down the trail, walks away from him, Leona is sitting there with like a, what the fuck just happened? But she runs over to Robin because he's, again, laying there shot he was shot yeah yeah and she's checking on him he she like checks his pulse and stuff and he has a really weak pulse and his breathing is like gurgling and so she's going over him seeing where he was shot and on his leg she sees like this tissue and blood on his leg so she wipes it away but there's not a wound there and that's when she realizes that wasn't his blood and tissue she was wiping away that was hers that, like, fell on him when she leaned over because she's been shot in her stomach. Oh, my God. She was shot. Uh-huh. And she just now realized. That is crazy to me, the way adrenaline works. That you can be shot and have mm-hmm. no idea. I know. And then other times you can step on a nail and have no idea. Like, have no idea that it's there, but step on it and know and feel it. But other times something can happen that's super traumatic to your body and you don't notice like it's insane i know stepping on a nail and getting shot is not the same thing but no but it was a good example because like the getting shot thing she knew she was being shot at and didn't feel it when it happened stepping on a nail you're unex you're not expecting that and you feel it like i i think it was a good example because it made sense with the point you were trying to make yay so anyway yeah she's been shot in her stomach and she's like shit i have a decision to make I can stay here with Robin and we can both bleed to death on the trail. Because, again, it's not a crowded trail. Right. There's, that's the only guy they've really seen. Or she could walk back to, like, walk to the parking lot to their car, which means following the man who shot them. Oh, he went back that way? Like, back to how to leave? I think the they were, like, making their way to the car. Like, this trail led from where they had camped for a couple days and was going towards the car. Oh, gotcha. Or he turned around. I'm not 100% sure. Or it could be a but circle. Basically, I guess, yeah, some trails are circles. But basically what it meant is if she tries to go back to the car, she's going to have to be following the man who shot them. Well, I get it. But at that point, it's like, well, we sit here and bleed out. Or I at least see if I can save us. And that was her train of thought because she was like, I have to do something. Yeah. And so she leans down to Robin. She's like, I love you. 
I will be back with help. I can't imagine how difficult that was. I know. And they're about three miles from the car. And so she starts walking. And again, the entire time she's following the shooter. And she she's making sure he doesn't see her. She's staying back and, you know, she's like hiding behind trees, going slowly. But also, again, she's been shot in the stomach. And these are mountain trails she's hiking. She can like see him ahead. There are, like, parts of the trail where she can see him, but a lot of the time she's, like, following his footprints and stuff. Oh, my God. And just, like, following the trail down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because the thing is, one of the things when she can't see him, she's keeping an eye on his footprints to make sure he didn't just hop over into the woods. And she's going to wind up walking past him and he'll see her. And he'll shoot her again. Yeah. And so she makes it to the end of the trail. She can see the parking lot ahead of her. and She can also see that his footprints veer off to another trail she can't see him anymore but she can see the parking lot and so she just sprints towards her car while like holding her organs in she makes it to the car and she just starts driving and she has no idea how far she's gonna have to drive because they're in the middle of nowhere right like it's a very secluded that's what i'm thinking like national park or state park kind of thing yeah it's the middle of nowhere there aren't cities there cities are 20 miles away there's not even there's not cities there's not even towns or villages she winds up driving for about 40 minutes and she said it felt like seven hours so 40 minutes until she finally came across the first house that she had seen that has like electricity and stuff and so she parks the car runs to the door and thankfully the owners were home and they call 911 and she's immediately taken to the hospital Oh my gosh, yes, because this was a shotgun. So that, is that what you were saying? Like she was holding her insides because Mm -hmm. those like shoot and like splatter into all these little bullets. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. And also gunshot wounds are, especially from like a big gun, like a shotgun or a bigger rifle. It's not just like, oh, a, a hole, you know, the size of a pencil or tube of lipstick. Those are two very different sized things, but... Yeah, but I get what you're saying. You know, saying. it's not just a bullet-sized hole, especially exit wounds. I mean, it yeah. tears and shit. So, yeah. So she's taken to the hospital, and she tells them, like, what happened, where Robin is. And she's taken to the hospital and, like, immediately rushed into surgery. And I'm not sure if it was, like, before surgery or after when she's in recovery. I'm thinking after because of timelines. But when she's at the hospital, the police that were there or something had, like, accidentally left the radio on. So she's listening to all of the, like, official updates. No. And that's how she finds out that they found Robin's body. He died from his gunshot wounds on the trail. It's one of those, she probably already knew it. In her, in her heart, yeah. she knew that leaving him meant she was truly leaving him. But I think she made the right decision. I mean, you've mm-hmm. got to get help. You've got to at least try. And that's exactly what yeah. she did. But for her to hear this on the radio and have that confirmation, that's horrible. Yeah. It's like, even though she probably already knew it, that's not how you want to hear. No. And I mean, if you think about it, like... If she'd stayed, the only help would have come from a hiker passing by. Maybe. Which maybe that happens, maybe it doesn't. Or she can go. And if she goes, she can get help for both of them. And even still, if a hiker passes by, they'll see Robin. 
That's true. It's both options. So, you know, but yeah, I mean, she she knew he was dead, but she also, as she was lying there listening to the radio, she was listening, like, breath abated to hear anything and everything, and she found out her husband was dead. And that he'd been shot through the aorta. So there was nothing she could have done. No. One thing she said is, like, you know, he could have been shot in a hospital operating room, and they probably wouldn't have been able to save him. Yeah. Because the aorta... It's your lifeline. Yeah, it's the artery going from your heart to your lower body. Like, it's, it's the one that comes out the top and loops around, and it's about as thick as your thumb. And arteries are the ones that, like, pump the blood out. Yeah. So a severed aorta, you'll bleed out... In a couple minutes. Yeah. Because it's like... It's the thickest blood vessel in the body. Yeah. You you watch three episodes of Grey's Anatomy and you've heard about a severed aorta at least four times. Mm-hmm. Like... I mean, it's one of those, I think people know a lot about like, or you hear a lot about like the carotid artery. You know, the one in your neck that goes to your brain. Yeah. Your aorta is bigger than that. Which is crazy to think about. But yeah, if it's pumping blood to the entire lower half of your body... That's kind of important because mm-hmm. veins are the ones that bring the blood back to the heart, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the difference in arteries and veins. Mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, bringing so back like, middle school science. Yeah. Well, and it's one of those things if you like get cut and it's a vein, it's when it, the blood will kind of like ooze out. If you cut an artery, one, dear God, that's a deep cut because they're deep. But that's when it like, it sprays out with each heartbeat. Did y'all like the sound effects asmr true crime asmr (laughs) i told you the sound effects are gonna be gross (laughs) yeah but yeah so he wouldn't have been able to survive that's horrible three days after the shooting the shooter was arrested good they found him i was worried he was just gonna walk off into the abyss no they they found him he was arrested um, and his name was Glenn Walter Spuller, and he was charged with murder and attempted murder. And one of the things, he was one of those guys that he grew up in one of like the tiny towns that was like closest to the hiking trails. He like grew up and lived there. And it was one of those things when it was announced it was him, basically everyone in town already kind of knew it was. Oh. Like they heard about the shooting and they were like, I bet it was Glenn. Like, he was just, from not only the, like, physical description of him, but it's, like, he's the type of person that would have done that. But also, it's, like, why? What is his reasoning for this? They literally walked past him on the trail. And said hi. So, his reasoning for the shooting, he's someone who was, like, obsessed with distilled water. Specifically, distilled water, like, always had gallons of distilled water on him, only drank distilled water. And he thought that when they passed him on the trail, that they had somehow contaminated his water and, like, done something to him. Like, they were they were out to get him. So, like I said, mental illness. Yes. Severe. And because of that, he was found not guilty by reason of insanity. And so he's remained still to this day in secure state hospitals. But one of the things Leona said that since he's reevaluated every year, she knows that until he dies, there's always the chance that he could one day be released. 
And that is my case. That is the survival of Leona Mendenhall and the murder of Robin Mendenhall. That's a terrifying story because it's just like a normal activity. They were celebrating their one year anniversary. They were going hiking. It wasn't anything crazy and extravagant. It was just getting in touch Mm -hmm. with nature. And unfortunately, Glenn was there too. Yeah. So, Brittany, tell me about your survivor case that you chose for today's episode. All right. So, mine is Kevin's survivor story. I got this from I Survived, Season 5, Episode 13. So, I also used I Survived this time. Yeah. It's, again, I'm telling y'all, if y'all have, you can get it on, like, what, the Lifetime app? Yeah. They have, like, all your- of them. Yeah, not, I almost said Kindle, on your fire, <laughs> on, on your well, company that's taking over every part of our lives. Yeah, that, that app. Gosh, I'm telling y'all, it's intense, but it's inspirational enough that that is like pure binge TV. It is. Also, YouTube has a lot of episodes if you don't want to like pay for an app or TV and stuff. You find a lot of them for free on YouTube. Just say in. Oh, there's a ton. That's what I use today. Same. I don't have cable. I'm paying for Lifetime. (laughs) Sorry, Lifetime. Love you, but can't afford cable. Truth. So Kevin's survival takes place in August 2009 in Detroit, Michigan. Kevin was a pastor at an inner city church. And on this particular night, his wife and two kids were away. So he was home alone. He had the place to himself that night. They had just finished an entire week of community outreach projects. And so generally, after a week like that, his kids would go visit their grandparents in Illinois. And this time, his wife, Sarah, went with the kids because it was her family. And she was like, you know what? A week with families, that's going to be good. Haven't seen my folks in a while. Yeah. So at about midnight, Kevin finally decides it's time he's he's turning in for the night he's going to bed so he gets up locks the door and then he goes upstairs to the master bedroom they lived in a two-story house and you know the main bedroom was upstairs at about 3 a.m he hears glass breaking and this just it startled him and it woke him up so he was like deep asleep and hears glass breaking so he gets out of bed and he's like running towards the sound And when he gets to the top of the steps, he sees his wife's tennis racket and he grabs it because he doesn't know what he's about to be faced with. Yeah. And so as he's going down the stairs, he's hitting the wall, making a lot of noise. You know, he's (laughs) like with the racket, not his body. No, I know. I I just got a flashback to, you know, like two years ago when I was at my (laughs) old apartment and I hear glass break in the middle of the night and I rush out of bed (laughs) only to step on broken wine glass that my cat knocked over. Yep, yep. Old listeners remember that story. That was like episode seven or something. Yeah, I remember you being bolted awake with broken glass and then stepping Uh on it (laughs) while trying to save your cats. Didn't even care about your bleeding feet. No, I just, I went into protective dad mode. But I'm also like, if it was a robber, I would have just been like, <laughs> like, what what was I going to do? I didn't grab anything. I wasn't smart like Kevin grabbing a tennis racket. I was like, guess I'm going to naked tackle them. <laughs> but no, instead, I'm just going to 
chomp my feet down onto some broken glass. God, that sounds so painful. Oh my it god. It was not fun. <laughs> I don't know why, but the <laughs> part of the story that just makes me laugh so much is it happened to be one of those nights when you slept naked. And so you're uh-huh. just like, really? Of all nights, why? Naked, bleeding, yelling at the animals to stay away so they don't also step on the broken glass. Your neighbor also wakes up because of the yelling. I mean, I went like scary dad voice when max i heard his little nails on the wood floor like oh what's what's going on here and you were like get back yes (laughs) that's when my scary dad voice comes out is when i don't want someone or something to hurt themselves yeah i've had a couple friends that it comes out and they're like jesus fucking christ i'm like sorry it's there it lives in me (laughs) Okay. Yes. Anywho, Kevin. Kevin is walking down the staircase, banging on the wall and yelling, this is my house. This is my house. Get out. This is my house. Get out. And when he gets to the bottom of the steps where they always leave the light on, like they don't, that is that, you know, a lot of people have that one light they never turn off. Mm -hmm. That was the bottom of their stairs. He gets there and the intruder is there at the same time. And so they make eye contact. So someone had broken into his home and was standing there at the bottom of the staircase. Oh my god. An intruder in your apartment. I've had that pseudo once. You know the story. Yeah. That is the most, like, defiling thing. Yeah, it's your home. It's your safe space. And someone just invaded it. Like, it, it's the one place you know everything about even the little things of like this is the part of the door molding that kind of has a dent in it you know all Mm -hmm. that shit and then this sudden unknown person presence is there not presence as in like poltergeist (laughs) shit but like no like a human this big fucking question mark where everything else in that space there is no question mark you know And then there's someone there as the, like, awful. Yeah. I had one incident in college where someone walked into the wrong apartment. And we never saw their face because we had, like, this small entryway. But we heard the door open, someone be like, oh, shit, and then walk out and shut the door. We were sitting in the living room. We were, like, four girls, like, four college-age girls. We were like, holy shit, because some dude just walked into our apartment. Terrifying. Oh, mine was someone broke in and did laundry, but... I do know that story. Yeah. So, just the... But I didn't, I didn't come face-to-face with the person in my apartment. Kevin did. And, yeah, that's horrifying. So, like I said, they're making eye contact. Kevin had never seen this man before. He had no idea who he was. This man was 5'8", well-built, and not wearing a shirt. That's weird that he's not wearing a shirt. Also short i'm 5'9 so i can say that 5'10 <laughs> if you look at my driver's license i mean obviously so this guy's just standing there staring at him and he's holding a large kitchen knife and this is Ooh. not a kitchen knife from kevin's house oh shit he brought it he brought it with him his eyes were really intense and kevin asked him one more time get out of my house please get out of my house but the man didn't do anything And he didn't say anything. He was just standing there 
cold and silent. And then all of a sudden, this man starts stabbing Kevin over and over. Holy shit. The first stab went into his abdomen, and then it's just more stabs everywhere. Kevin was trying to get this man off of him, protect himself, but this guy was unrelenting. And it was like he was almost in this possessed state, and he just kept stabbing Kevin over and over. And the intensity from this man was something that Kevin had never seen before. Like, literally, like, this man was possessed, and his only goal was stab, stab, stab. Oh my god, possessed by meth? At this point, Kevin had been stabbed so many times, he just, like, falls to the ground. He, he can't even hold himself up anymore. And the man stood above him and kept stabbing him. His cheek, his temple, his arms, everywhere. And to make it even worse, throughout this entire attack, the assailant never spoke. He was silent the whole time. Oh, that is creepy. Creepy is not an intense enough word. But it, it's like bone chilling. It's like, yeah. Kevin has no idea who this man is. He broke into his house, and then he just starts brutally attacking him, all without sound. Yeah. Kevin tried to get up, but he could only make it to his hands and knees before this man just continued to stab him and he fell back to the ground. And so Kevin's laying there being stabbed and he just literally cannot believe this is happening to him. And he starts thinking about his kids and this realization is setting in that he is never going to see them again because this is it. Like he's done for. Kevin's extremely weak from so much blood loss. And it's at this moment that the intruder finally speaks up and says his first words. And he asks Kevin, where are the keys? Where's the money? Kevin told him he had no money on him, but that the keys were in the kitchen. And so this man runs off to the kitchen and Kevin can hear him like rustling around, like trying to find the keys. And he comes back and he's pissed because he can't find the keys. So he picks Kevin up and starts dragging him closer to the kitchen. And they get about halfway so if you think like staircase and let's say we're going to go left and you'll you'll pass the front door as you make your way into the kitchen. So Kevin's kind of like by the front door at this point when the man drops him and the man goes back into the kitchen to look for the keys again. And Kevin's just laying there. He He's putting his head on the cold ground and he can feel how cold it is. And he's just thinking, this is where I'm going to die. And again, his wife and children they're gone for an entire week. So he's just imagining, like, when are they gonna, when am I gonna be found? Like, wh- how is this gonna, what's gonna happen to everyone else when when I'm just found here? And if he's lying in front of the front door, it's like, am I gonna be found by my wife and kids opening the front door, getting home from the trip? Shit. So all these thoughts are going through his head, and he, he gets enough strength to pick his head up and he he's talking to this man he's begging for his life and he mentions his kids he's like i have kids and he's hoping that in some way he can make a connection with this man maybe this man has kids too maybe that's going to be the thing to say but the intruder comes back and starts stabbing him again so at this point kevin is bleeding to death he's overwhelmed with fear and anxiety and he knows that Everything is out of his hands at this point. There is nothing he can do. And this man is still asking 
where are the keys? Where are the keys? And Kevin responds, it doesn't matter anymore because I'm dead. Like he just knew, like that was it. The man picks him up, drags him further into the kitchen. And Kevin could just feel this pool of blood that he was lying in. And the man, you know, puts him down in the kitchen and a new pool forms because he's still bleeding. He's completely bleeding out. Kevin knew it'd be hours before he was found. So not only is his family going to be gone for a week, but it's going to be at least like 17 hours because the church office is closed. And so it's not going to be until the next night. So I guess in my head when he was saying this, I'm picturing it being a Friday night and he's saying it's going to be the next night, Saturday night, when they have their Saturday night services, when he doesn't show up and he's missing. That's going to be the first moment that someone knows something happened. Yeah. He was thinking about who is going to be that first person who's going to find me. And then there was that moment that we hear about with people who are so close to death when they're just like, no, I'm not done. I'm not going to die. Like, I'm not going to let this happen. He knew his kids still needed him and he had to live. At this point, the attacker has gone upstairs and he's ransacking the rooms. He's searching for only God knows what. So Kevin finds the strength and he he's able to stand up. And this is when he finds out that this wound in his stomach is really bad because he had to pick his intestines up off the floor. They were Oh shit. They were outside his body. His abdomen had been completely slashed open. And so he picks them up and he walks outside of the house and he has to go down, you know, those like three or four steps that everyone has up to their porch. And he walks over to the neighbor's house for help. He's banging on the door and the neighbor peeks through the blinds. You know, it's the middle of the night. The neighbor's like, what's going on? So he peeks through the blinds and he sees Kevin standing there completely disemboweled. And the neighbor was so alarmed, he refused to open the door. He was not ignoring the situation, but he didn't know if the attacker was still around. So he he stays there. He keeps an eye on Kevin and he calls 911 from inside his house. I get it. I mean, I do, too. I do, too. I would like to think I'd be some hero that goes outside. But if you don't know that threat's gone, I'd probably do the same thing. Like, keep an eye on the situation and call 911. Because what am I going to well, do? And also, you know, yeah. I'm not a doctor. And also, I'm like, if the neighbor, na- you know, the neighbors, like, if if the dude's out there and can get into my place, like, my family. Exactly. Is all asleep upstairs. Or, you know, yeah, I get it. So the neighbor calls 911. And while they're waiting on the police and the paramedics to arrive, Kevin's telling his neighbor all these different messages to tell his wife and children. Because he doesn't think oh he's going to make God. it. And he's like, please... I need them to know, essentially, these are my last words. Like, please communicate this to my family. So the police arrive, and Kevin is laying on his neighbor's porch, holding his intestines. And they come up to him, and they keep him talking. Because they can obviously see how bad the situation is. Yeah. Kevin was head to toe, covered in blood. So much so that the officers could not see what he looked like. They didn't know the color of his skin. The color of his skin in this moment was red because he was covered in blood. Kevin was raced to the hospital for emergency surgery. And after about three to four hours, the doctors had been working on his abdomen and there was still so much blood on the table. 
like it's like they'd stitched everything up and there's still so much bleeding and so that's when they they roll him over and they see about 15 to 20 more stab wounds to the back of his head his neck and his shoulders oh my god they didn't know i wondered that too because, I mean, again, I'm not a doctor. I don't know how... Cl- I would hope you look over the body closely. But, again, this man was in severe trauma and it was emergency surgery and his intestines were outside his body. So that seems yeah. like the most important... And was the most important thing to address. And it was... Yeah, I mean, yeah. Are you going to take time to roll him over, wash the blood off his back so you could see what are his wounds and what's just blood from his front or... Or are you going to jump right into this gaping hole that his intestines are falling out of? Exactly. This is trauma surgery. So no, they didn't see it until, but they did because at a certain point you've like helped one wound so you can look over and they did notice like there's still a lot of blood. Altogether, Kevin was stabbed 37 times, which from his description, I thought it was going to be like 90. Same. I was picturing it being like, 15 straight minutes of being stabbed, but even still 37. That is so like, many stabs. Like, it, just think about it. Like, I I feel like you could, you know, if you were looking at your own body, like, super morbid, but, you know, start placing stab wounds. Once you get past, like, seven, it's like, where, where do they go? Where do they, you put the rest of them? I know. The most intense oh. injuries, like I said, were to his abdomen. And he was cut so deep that it sliced his intestines, like completely sliced them, and also sliced his colon. And Kevin doesn't remember anything from that first week in the hospital. He was in the ICU. There were so many complications. He has absolutely no memory. For the first time after the incident, it it had been a week after when he finally saw his kids. And it was just this moment, like he just, he said, he just told him he loved them. Like, that's all. He just wanted to tell him how much he loved them. Yeah. Kevin's alleged assailant was later arrested in another state on an unrelated charge. And at the time of the recording of this episode, he was being extradited to Detroit to face charges in Kevin's attack. Wow. You know, like I said, Kevin is a pastor. And so when it came to the the part in the episode of like, why did I survive? He was just saying he knew God wasn't done with him. And he had so much more to do. And Kevin really had the will to live. And he had Mm -hmm. the will to be there for his family and be there for his kids. And so I like think back to that moment, which again, I feel like every time we have this survivor episode, all of our survivors are faced with that decision of, do I want to survive or not? And he was like, yeah, "Yeah, I do. And that's when he gets up and walks out holding his intestines. Like, I just can't even imagine. Holy shit. No. Because I feel like in a moment like that, it would be so easy to just be like... This is it? it? It'd be nice to go to sleep right now. Yeah, I'm sure that's what your body wants to do because it's in so much pain. Yeah. And just the choice of having to do something or let something happen... And after going through that much trauma and that much of everything to be like, you know what, I'm I'm willing to go through more to fight. Shit. So did you pick up on what my common theme seems to be the last few Survivor episodes? Disembowelment. I know. I don't know why I keep... Because I when I was watching the episode, I was telling Tyler this earlier, 
I was actually interested in a different case in the episode. But once I heard more about Kevin, I was like, no, I want to tell his story. And I'm going to save the other one for later. But we also often talk about women in our survivor stories. And this was one of the Mm -hmm. cases where it was a man who was attacked. And I feel like that isn't talked about as often because as horrible as it is, we know women get attacked, but men get attacked too. And like, he was asleep, man. He was asleep. It's almost as if, and I don't know how true this is, but I guess this is just my theory that, you know, one of the reasons that it is so much more um, in like, a lot of true crime shows and podcasts, you hear a lot more about women being attacked. Is I mean, one, true crime is a genre. I mean, most of our listeners, y'all are women. True crime is a women-dominated entertainment field, I guess. I don't know how you would describe um, it, because it's like the amount of the people doing the murdering are men, but the people well, feeling yeah. the need to protect themselves are women, which is but saying I, a lot about patriarchy in that statement right there. Yeah, well, and my... Other theory is very much the patriarchy, but I wonder if it it's because it kind of feeds into that damsel in distress kind of trope right. of women being victims of crimes, but also feeding into the very stereotypical trope of like, she's hurt, but she's a badass. Which, I mean, yes, women are badasses, but I feel like the way it's often done is in a, I don't have a man to protect me, so I guess I'll do it kind of thing. And I'm like, mm, that's gross. No, they have the strength within them. And we have seen, we have talked about so many badass women that did not need a man to help them by any means. Exactly, yeah. I, but do, do you get what I'm saying? I do, with- yes. Yeah. And that's part of why I saw this case and I was like, okay, I've never done a Survivor episode of a man's story. Yeah. And- well, and this I think it's horrific. also, it is. And I also think that another part of it is the toxic masculinity of like, oh, men don't get attacked. They're part of the fight. Like they're, they're fighting back. Like it, it's that toxic masculinity shit of like, yes, m- men can't be victims. And I'm like, no, we absolutely can and are. Well, and also, and it, I, there are not a lot of men who are on I Survived because of no. an attack. A lot of the men on I Survived are the ones that survived, like, this freak of nature event. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, I was attacked by this cougar. And it's like, okay, well, because I feel like the mentality of it is like, oh, if you're a man and you're attacked, like, that's emasculating. And I'm like, that's so not fucking true. I mean, it's it's... All that bullshit with toxic masculinity of, like, hide your emotions, be tough. You know, men can't be victims because they're warriors. And it's like, fuck that bullshit. I know. And in the exact same vein, I don't know. I feel I feel like it's, like, mirrored to, like, the stories of, like, women being attacked. The mindset is, like, oh, because they're victims. And it's like, no. Fuck all of that. Fuck gender roles. I know. I guess is the end of everything. Fuck gender roles, fuck toxic masculinity over that shit. Yes. And I so much appreciated Kevin telling his story because this is intense. And when you think about it, the battle between a tennis racket and a large kitchen knife. Huh. 
I wonder which one's going to win. It's probably going to be the more violent tool, the knife. And I've also seen plenty of episodes of women beating the shit out of their male attackers. So, yeah, fuck Mm -hmm. toxic masculinity. It's just people. Anyway. And Leona, she was a badass. Can you imagine which also ours had the theme of disemboweled? She ran to the car while holding her intestines inside her body. She hiked three miles after being shot in the abdomen. And then ran. And then ran, like, and then, and then ran, and then drove for almost an hour. I know. Our survivors have so much strength. And one of the things that survivor episodes always make me think about is how strong we truly can be as humans if we decide we want to survive. And just how big that decision to survive can be. That's huge. These people are in shock. They're in extreme trauma. And like you said, the body's natural reaction is to just shut down and go to sleep. And you have to fight that. Yeah. And that is not nature. Like, that's that's not your automatic thing to do. It's this fight yeah. or flight. And flight can also mean doing nothing. Well, and it's the fight against your own body and self. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah, it's... It's intense and insane. And one of the things I love so much about our Survivor episodes is because just that decision that is a commonality in all of them is there and is so huge. Because it's a decision I don't think anyone could ever make until they're in the moment. Because I'm like, I don't don't know. I don't either. I like to think that I would fight, but I truly have no idea because I've never been in that situation. And I never want to be. This is a decision that you... Think about how you would respond, but don't ever want to have to know the truth of how you would respond. Mm -hmm. So. Yes. Well, this has been a very intense episode and a very real example of why at episode 117, we are not going to transition to a true crime ASMR podcast. Yep. So if you're listening to us for that, I'm sorry. (laughs) But if you're listening to us for what this episode was and enjoyed it, make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Leave those five stars um, and share us. If you have friends, family that you're like, ooh, they might like this. They might like the sibling thing or they're a fan of true crime. Share us. You know, we love hearing when people are like, oh my god, my friend told me about y'all, and I fell in love. And just that, I don't know, that kind of cascading of like six degrees of how the hell did you hear about blood and wine. (laughs) I love it. Yes. And while you're at it, be sure to like and follow us on social. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Send us messages. Send us topic suggestions, case suggestions, wine suggestions. We're getting all of these from you guys, and we really appreciate it Mm -hmm. because... There are some times when we're like, oh, God, we've tried all the wine. We haven't. Nowhere near. But let us know what you'd like to hear and listen to us taste. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Taste with us if you want. I mean, honestly, though, if you ever did want to do that, we always put our wine notes in the episode notes. So when you're like, oh, let me see the read more about this episode or however you do it. You could see what wine we're drinking that episode, and if you're like, ooh, I've seen that at my store, get it, drink along with us, and then when I'm like, it's really crisp, you can be like, what the hell are you talking about? No, it's not. Or (laughs) you'd be like, 
crispy, yes, like a damn Kit Kat. I don't know. Or a chip. But, yeah, that's better. Mm. That's a better example of crisp. Or for our li- uh, UK listeners, crisp like a crisp. Exactly. They are rolling their eyes if they've made it this far in the podcast. And if you have, we appreciate it. And this is Blood and Wine signing off. XOXO. Bye, you guys. Bye. Hey there, I'm Tara. And I'm Jessica. And together we co-host the podcast Three Spooked Girls. If you love the paranormal. Or murder. Join us on Mondays for full-length episodes where we discuss our favorite paranormal stories and true crime cases. And join us again on Thursdays for our mini-sodes called Stabby Snippets, where we tell you all about true crimes happening in the news. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, wherever the hell else you listen to your pods at. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by using the handle at 3SpookedGirls. Come and hang out with us and get your spooky on while we scare the hell out of you.